ASMR murder podcast. Should I do the whole episode whispering? That would be an interesting element here, and I do not think that I could do it. So, here we go. Ready? Okay. This is Monsters of Crime. No, this isn't. This is of Monsters and Crime, the podcast. Get it right. Get it together. Okay, here we go. It's time for your favorite cheerleading slash ASMR podcast. We've got a lot going on so far in this episode. We've got cheerleading. We've got ASMR. We've got murder. We've got it all. So no need to go anywhere else. Just come right here and you can get it all. So it's going to be a night of many wines and many words. Uh, speaking of wines, what me drinking tonight? I am just finishing. Not going to pronounce the name of this winery because I cannot. Uh, but it's called Georgia Sunrise. And it's from a vineyard and winery in Atlanta, I believe. And it's uh, peach flavored, peach wine. Um, and I got it from a friend and it's really good and it's almost gone. And after this, I'm going to be switching to beer. I think I've got my glass ready here and my beer ready to pour. So that's the plan. Uh, Maybe perhaps some rum chata or some fireball. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, maybe both fireball and rum chata together. It tastes like cinnamon toast crunch. Uh, cinnamon toast crunch gang right up in here. Uh, which leads me to some shout outs. Uh, first and foremost, taboo for all you do. And shout outs to my patrons and the creators of my logo and my intro music and my bestie for providing the equipment and the push that I needed to start this podcast project and keep going with it. So thank you very much. I love you. Uh, next, we'll talk about some TV shows and some movies um, that I've been watching. We watched... Mare of Easttown, which is so good. Um, Kate Winslet is the main character, you know, Rose from Titanic, and all I could think about every time I look at her is the Titanic, and you know, you know how it is. You know which scene I'm talking about. Uh, we started watching Criminal Minds as well, which is one of my favorite shows. I can watch it over and over and over similar to like forensic files and the x files like i can watch those episodes a million times and i will never get sick of it um we attempted to watch a movie called greener grass and really it's really it's super weird so i thought that i would enjoy it because i'm into like that weird eccentric like just over the top weird shit and this was just we're not sure what it's about 
Um, and we ended up giving, giving up halfway through. Just couldn't do it. But we gave it a shot. And if anybody has seen that and maybe suggest that we finish it, because who knows, maybe past the halfway point, it got good. Let me know and I'll give it another shot. Um, I think that's really, oh, I can't really remember what else. I'm pretty sure that Mayor of Easttown basically took up at least the past week. It was seven episodes and um, yeah, I can't think of anything else that I've been watching. Uh, so with that being said, I guess we'll get into the murder. Um, this is a special episode for no reason other than the content of the story. And um, if you know, you know why it's special. And if you don't, then it sucks to be you, right? No, I'm just kidding. But it, it is, um, we'll just get into it, okay? Um, so. Let's start with Piper Potts. Piper Potts was an attractive young woman from Texas who met her future husband, Vance Trial, at a Bible college in Oregon. They married in 1988 and three years later moved to a trailer located on 40 acres in Canastota, South Dakota, a rural community about 20 miles west of Sioux Falls. So I won't do that the whole time, uh, but uh, they were hardcore Bible thumpers, and they had a dream to one day own their own ministry, which eventually they fucking did, and uh, I forgot what they named it. I had it written down, and then I deleted it. It's not important. Um, but so the Stryles had two children. We'll call them Shana and Nathan. Uh, I mean, those were their actual names they're not just random names that I made up um so they were three and two years of age and Nathan's second birthday actually fell on Monday July 29th 1996 the day they lost their mother the day that this tragic event occurred uh did I even tell you what this was no I didn't this is the duct tape murder yeah, duct tape murders. Um, so back to it. Uh, that morning about 6.30, Vance, uh, who was at the time 29, drove to his plumbing job as usual. And then Piper, who was 28, normally she would have left a short time after uh, taking the kids to the babysitter on the way to her job. In fact, she had called the babysitter that morning at about 9.20 a.m. to say that they were on their way. Uh, Piper never arrived at the babysitter's house or at her job, and her husband called home around noon um, and left a message on the answering machine saying, like, yo, babe, where you at? And that's not a direct quote, but it could be. Uh, and around 3 o'clock, Patty Sinclair, who worked with Piper at the daycare facility, uh, called to check on her friend. And Shayna, the three-year-old, answered. And she said into the phone, I don't want my mommy to die. I don't want my daddy to die. And then she added, they're probably killed. So 
the chick Patty, her coworker, Piper's coworker, uh, she directed another coworker to call the McCook County Sheriff's Office while she uh, called back and uh, she got Shayna on the phone again, but this time she kept her on the phone um, for about 45 minutes until a sheriff arrived at the trailer. By now, it was after 5 p.m., and the sheriff found that uh, he found the children and the family dog, but there was no sign of Piper. And the trailer was in disarray, um, but the children hadn't been harmed, uh, physically at least. And then Nathan had made hardly a sound while Shayna was just in tears the entire time. So patiently, two offers extracted the three-year-old's account of what happened. She had said, a mean man, she described him as a mean man, uh, driving a black vehicle with black wheels, came into the trailer and grabbed their mother. She reported that there was lots of yelling and that uh, the man shot a gun. Their mother told them to run and hide, so they did. And she, uh, Shana also said that the man had taken Nathan's blue tent, which was a birthday present that he had just received the night before. So the investigation quickly turned up several witnesses who reported seeing a truck or um, like a sports utility vehicle, SUV, we call them, uh, painted a flat black color in the vicinity of the Stryl residence that day. And another couple who lived um, in the area saw a nervous man in jeans and a baseball cap walking from the trailer to the black Ford Bronco that was parked in the driveway. So authorities really had nothing uh, to go on and uh, until late in the evening that night, that's when Vance, the husband, suddenly recalled a visit uh, to the trailer about three days earlier by a chubby, balding stranger in his mid-twenties. The man said his name was Rob Anderson. So you guys don't know it, but I know it because I did the research on this story. But that's his real name. So giving your fucking real name, what a fucking amateur. Um, so the, the uh, police returned to the residence to follow up on the new information that they had found out. Vance had remembered Anderson as an affable guy who had a limp handshake and probably a limp dick. I added that for clarification. Um, and he had driven up in a black Bronco at about 7.30 a.m. the previous Friday. And... At first, he didn't really seem to know what he wanted to say, um, and he seemed really surprised that Vance was home and kind of mumbled something about having driven by the house several times over the past few months. Creepy. Uh, and finally, as Piper walked to the front door that day, uh, Anderson inquired about enrolling his children in the Bible camp. Vance had told him that camp was closed for the year, um, but that they would add his name to the list for 1997, the following year. So Piper wrote his name and phone number on a piece of paper, and Anderson left. By the next morning after her disappearance, uh, investigators had fully identified the Stryles visitor 
as Robert Leroy Anderson, 26 years old. He was a high school dropout, so already off to a great start in life. Like, you're winning it, dude, 100%. And twice married, father of four, uh, who lived in Sioux Falls. And Anderson worked as a maintenance man on the night shift at a local meatpacking plant. Uh, officers went to Anderson's house where they woke him up and they said that they needed to speak with him. Uh, he pulled on jeans and a t-shirt and a baseball hat and he voluntarily drove his blue Ford Bronco to the local police station where an investigative team um, searched the Bronco and his home and he underwent a seven-hour interrogation. So beneath the carpeting in the Broncos cargo area, they found a plywood platform with holes drilled in it. Each was obviously designed to accommodate wrist and ankle restraints. A toolbox containing chain and wooden dowels also were found in the vehicle. There were also traces of black water-based paint and a partial roll of duct tape. Uh, dog hairs similar to those of the uh, Stryles family dog were also recovered along with some furniture moving straps. So he remained calm during his interrogation, denying the knowledge of Piper's fate or her whereabouts. But he did concede that he had visited their trailer um, the previous Friday morning. And after some bullshit, ambiguous statements, um, he also admitted that he had returned on Monday which was the day that she disappeared. And he said that he had come back because he wanted to use the Stryles archery range. Um, he also claimed that he had knocked on the door, but there was no answer. And he said he could hear the children playing within and assume that Mrs. Stryle was taking a nap. So he left, is what he is telling the, the police officers. The investigators, the detectives, whoever the fuck is asking him the questions. Um, so the conversation that they had with him touched on topics um, as diverse as his boyhood, boyhead, yikes, his boyhood speech impediment. I think I have a boyhood speech impediment too. Uh, his professed interest in anal sex, which he reported that his wife did not share. Um, and then the unsolved disappearance of another local woman whose name is Larissa Demansky. She was a 29-year-old Morel, I think is how you pronounce it, employee, which is um, the place that dude worked at, the meat packing plant or whatever it was called. Um she had also vanished from the company's parking lot two years before, and he denied any knowledge of her disappearance. We're doing foreshadowing again here. So meanwhile, investigators found a pair of Anderson's blue jeans in the laundry area of his trailer, and uh, inside they were stained with blood and semen. But uh, later tests uh, on the scenes would prove inconclusive as to their source, which is a bummer. Again, in the 90s, late 90s, 
DNA sampling and testing was just not quite there yet. Almost, but not quite there. Um, the search also turned up two handcuff keys and a container of black water-soluble spray paint, such as that discovered in the Bronco. Um, so when the police interviewed one of his neighbors, uh, Dan Johnson, he recalled seeing Anderson carefully clean the interior of his blue Bronco on the morning of the 29th. He also reported that Anderson left for a while and returned around 2 p.m., where he again cleaned the interior of his blue Bronco. Like, either this dude is up to something, or he has a really bad case of OCD. Which one could it be? I don't know. We'll find out. So, confronted with the handcuff keys, he admitted that they were his, but he said he didn't own any handcuffs to go with them. Like, that happens all the time. Like, yeah, I've got keys to handcuffs, but I don't own them. I'm so sorry if you could hear that. That was rude of me. I just poured some beer. Um... So Vance had later picked out Robert Anderson in a lineup as the man who came to his home on the morning of the 26th, just, you know, whatever, three days prior to his wife's disappearance. And his daughter, Shana, also identified him as the quote-unquote mean man uh, who had forcibly taken their mother away. So at 1.30 in the morning of August 2nd, the Sioux Falls police arrested Robert Anderson, Robert Anderson, the easiest fucking name to pronounce, and I still can't do it, uh, at Morales and charged him with kidnapping Piper. But Piper was still missing. Um, hundreds of officers and volunteers scoured the area until the Stryles trailer uh, knew. Mm -mm. Nope. Hundreds of officers and volunteers scoured the area around the Stryles trailer looking for further evidence. Um, they found nothing, however. But uh, botanist Gary Larson from South Dakota State University was able to point the investigation in a more useful direction. He identified bits of, uh, I guess, vegetable matter. Is that right? Vegetation matter? I don't know. It's not like he found cucumbers and shit. So we'll go with vegetation matter. Uh, taken from a toolbox in the back of the Bronco. Um, as some kind... There are two different kinds. Snake root, honewort, and, and black snake root. Root, yes. I say root. I'm from the Midwest. I say root. So deal with it. Um which are known to grow along certain wooded stretches of the Big Sioux River just north of Sioux Falls, near a small town of Baltic. Uh, police realized that it was not a coincidence that on July 29th, the day of Piper's abduction, a motorist who was driving near Baltic had found a torn half of a black and white t-shirt that Piper had been wearing when she was last seen. So, that's 
clearly, obviously, where Anderson had taken her. A search of the lightly inhabited area turned up the other half of her t-shirt beneath a small tree, and dangling from a branch directly above it were several lengths of duct tape, wadded up together and matted with human hair that proved to be microscopic... Wow. Microscopically? There we go. Indistinguishable from Piper's hair. Of fucking course. Late 90s. Technology just isn't there yet. Letting us down. Also nearby were a large dildo and a partially used wax candle. Um, one torn end of the duct tape had matched the roll taken from Anderson's Bronco. And the vehicle also yielded hair specimens believed to have come from Piper and stuck to the back of a, a folding knife recovered from the Bronco were bits of cloth fiber that matched her shirt. Dude, clearly you're into some kinky shit, which is totally cool. But instead of murdering, why not put that energy into some positive fucking? Like, there are people out there who would take you up on some of this kink stuff. Like, trust me. You don't need to murder people. Just fucking sign up for a fetish website or something and you're golden. So he was charged with kidnapping Piper and went on trial the following spring. Um, he was not charged with murder since they there wasn't sufficient evidence to prosecute him successfully for that crime. They still didn't have a body or anything. Um, the prosecution team, led by South Dakota Attorney General Mark Barnett, would show the jury that the defendant had bought black paint that Monday morning and sprayed it on the Bronco to change the appearance of the vehicle. So a reconstruction of events derived from the evidence, witnesses, and informant information established that Anderson drove to the Stryles trailer on the 29th. He handcuffed Piper, retrieved the note that had his name and phone number on it that she had written down three days prior um, and he carried her out to the Bronco and drove to the thinly settled area near Baltic Um, securing her to the platform of his vehicle he gagged Piper with duct tape he cut her shirt open with his folding knife sexually assaulted her and then killed her and disposed of the body which we still have not found uh, he then returned to the residence and retrieved a watch that he had dropped during the struggle, as well as the expended shell casing from the round that Shana reported that he had fired. So he's just as dumb, but not as dumb as we would think. He went back to get the shit that he had left behind, but also... He went back to get the shit that he had left behind. So he's not smart. Um, I mean, he's from North Dakota, so really? I mean, wait, is it North Dakota? Fuck, am I smart? I don't think I'm 
think I'm fucking dumb too. North Dakota, right? Sioux Falls, North Dakota. <laughs> it's one of the Dakotas, okay? Um, <laughs> anywho, he, let's see, blah, 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 blah. After he went back, he retrieved the shit that he had left there because he's a fucking dumbass. And um, the second trip to the residence accounts for the Stryles neighbor seeing him walk from the trailer to the Bronco, which is kind of the point that I was making, like, you're fucking dumb for going back because people saw you, if not the first time, for sure the second time. So they're placing you at the scene. Uh, so Dan Johnson and other witnesses placed him back at home uh, in the Bronco, which was now blue. Uh, by 2 p.m. that afternoon, which means that somewhere along the way, he also stopped and wash off, washed off the black paint, um, which is still a fucking idiot for doing all this in daylight. Like, all right, there are so many things adding up here that this dude has a fucking low IQ. Um, anyways, in daylight where multiple people could see him. And did see him. So on May 8th, 1997, Anderson's jury found him guilty of kidnapping Piper. And uh, two months later, the state circuit judge Boyd McMurchy sentenced him to life in prison. Uh, no one, however, was satisfied with this income. Income? Nope. Outcome. <laughs> Anderson complained that in court that he was a poor innocent victim of vindictive prosecution oh poor baby uh i hope you rot in hell is what he had told barnett just before his sentencing uh and barnett responded with i might but it won't be because i convicted robert anderson Ooh, bitch got ya in fact, Barnett was no happier about the punishment that he received um, than was the defendant, though for different reasons. So the attorney, attorney general vowed in court that there would be another day of reckoning. Sooner or later, he'll face a homicide charge, Barnett predicted. Now, let's get on to Larissa Demansky. So in 1991, Larissa, 29 years old, and Bill moved to South Dakota. It's South Dakota! Fucking not North Dakota. God damn it. I thought I was so good at my geography, but I just fucking failed. So South Dakota, uh, from the Ukraine. They were eager to, eager to start a new life in the United States, and they both began working for the John Morrell uh, meatpacking plant and eventually Bill found work elsewhere but Larissa remained at the company mostly working the night shift and it was there that she befriended the plant's maintenance man Robert Leroy Anderson he confided uh, Anderson confided that his violent murder fantasies uh, so he confided these violent murder fantasies to his friend Glenn Walker, who was apparently a lifelong friend. They, I guess, grew up together, knew each other in fucking kindergarten and shit. Um, so 
they shared a common interest. They both wanted to experience what it would be like to an abduct, to an abduct, to ab, for real, to abduct a woman and then kill her. Um, so together they devised an elaborate plan to kidnap Larissa and Anderson had been stalking her for several months. So Anderson and Walker, uh, one day they decided to put wheel poppers in the road, which are, I think, those spiky things that you lay down across the road and you run over them and your tires go pop, uh, specifically to damage her tires, hoping to abduct her after she had stopped. Uh, However, their plan didn't initially work out the way that they had hoped. She did experience flat tires however she never stopped her car in an isolated place which made it really difficult to abduct her because of the risk that they would get caught so instead they decided to try another method which clearly uh he's not concerned in his second abduction about the risk of getting caught because he does it in the fucking daylight where people can see him Anyways, on August 26th, um, Anderson approached Larissa in the parking lot where they worked, and he held her at knife point. He ordered her into his vehicle. Uh, So then Anderson and Walker drove Larissa to Lake Vermilion. When they arrived, Walker watched Anderson uh, drag Larissa out of the car, and he raped her several times. She pleaded desperately for her life. Uh, but Anderson ignored her. Um, and during testimony given by Walker several years after the incident, he informed police that Anderson suffocated Larissa with duct tape and then buried her remains beneath a chokecherry bush, which is a very fitting name, I guess, for this murder. A choke cherry bush at the time of her death she was approximately six weeks pregnant sad so shortly after anderson was convicted for the kidnapping of piper in 1997 walker confessed to the police that he was an accomplice of the abduction of larissa uh, back in what was it 1991 So he told them that he and Anderson methodically planned and carried out the kidnapping, but he claimed that he was not involved in her rape or her murder, which I don't fucking care, dude. You you were involved in the rape and murder, whether you did it or not. You plotted to kidnap and abduct this woman because it was one of your fucking fantasies so you were involved Um, and he also said that he would show the police the location of her body on May 20th of that year Walker led the police to Larissa's shallow unmarked grave at Lake Vermilion and when they dug up her remains they realized that portions of her skeleton were missing And a 1999 Midwest news article 
stated that forensic experts recovered a total of 57 items related to Larissa, which included a tooth, a rib, the bones from um, the left and the right wrist, several fingers, a right foot and ankle, several fingernails, and jaw and throat bones. Um, They also found at and near the grave a pair of work gloves, shell casings, bullets, Larissa's shoes, a part of her belt, jewelry, and pieces of her clothing. Uh, The authorities were baffled uh, as to why only part of her body was present at the grave. Um, There were no signs at all of like large animals that had maybe disturbed the site because it was uh, neatly covered over. But uh, the police would get their explanation from an unlikely source several months later. We'll get into that in just a minute. So according to a January 20th, 2002 Aberdeen news article, Anderson's prison cellmate Jeremy Brenner contacted the attorney general's office in August 1997, and he had information about Anderson's crimes. He told them that Anderson bragged excessively and in great detail about the murders of Piper and Larissa during a just a one-week period in which they shared a cell. Um, Brunner was also able to provide them with significant evidence, which would further implicate Anderson. So Brunner told the authorities that Anderson admitted he was a serial killer and that he kept trophies of his victims, which a lot of serial killers do. Um, But he kept them at his grandmother's house. And he even told Brunner the precise location of the items. Um, So they were later found exactly where he had said, which was tucked between the ceiling um, and the wall of Anderson's grandmother's basement. So the stash included a ring and a necklace um, that had belonged to Piper, a necklace that had belonged to Larissa, as well as Anderson's gun. So Anderson told Brunner that he believed Walker might tell the authorities about the murders. He also had a feeling that Walker would would uh, reveal the location of Larissa's body. And, and um, so in order to prevent the police from discovering the identi- identity of Larissa's body, if ever found, I'm tripping over my words again, guys. So this is a good sign or a bad sign or a good sign. Um, blah, blah, blah. Where was I now? Um, so I'm really distracted right now by the sound of a frog in my backyard. He stopped now, but you can probably hear it. Um, so Anyways, in order to prevent the police from discovering the identity of Larissa, if ever found, uh, which would obviously link the murder to him, uh, Anderson decided to remove her skull and teeth from the shallow grave. And um, Hazelwood and Mashad, 
whoever these fucking dudes are, um, they were just mentioned in the article and I did not research them any further and you can give me a fucking one star rating if you want to for not researching, but I don't give a shit. They suggested that the remains uh, that were exhumed were then thrown from Anderson's car window as he drove from the scene. And Brunner's story explained why the police found only portions of Larissa's body. So Brunner, again, who was the cellmate for like a week of Anderson, claimed that Anderson had also bragged about abducting Piper He said that Anderson admitted to raping and strangling her before disposing of her body in the Big Sioux River. I switched over to beer now, and I'm not a fancy beer drinker because I like them good enough, but it's really hard for me to drink, like the fancy IPAs and shit like I can drink one but if I'm drinking to drink like I can't drink more than like one or two or or at least it takes me a while so uh I'm drinking a Coors Light right now and I know I just upset a whole lot of people but that's okay I'm okay with that and Not only am I drinking a Coors Light, but get this, you guys. I put green olives in my beer. And it's really good, and I really like it. And green olives and Coors Light are fucking delicious. So don't hate, okay? Uh, Where was I? I just got totally distracted. Um, boop, 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 boo. Okay. Uh, I think I found where I was. Um, during another conversation, Anderson had asked Brunner to murder Walker because he distrusted him and he did not think that he would remain silent about the crimes. And Brunner agreed. And Anderson even drew up two maps for him. One of the maps depicted the location of walker's house and the other map showed where anderson's grandmother lived and he told brunner that in her basement he would find his gun so even though brunner agreed to kill walker when he got out of prison he had no intention of actually falling through with the deed instead he struck a bargain with the police and he exchanged information that he had gathered for a shorter prison sentence which happens all the time Brunner's testimony, along with that taken from Walker and Hammer, proved to be instrumental in securing another conviction. So on September 4th, 1997, Anderson was charged with murdering Larissa Demansky, and he was also charged with the rape and murder of Piper Stryl, even though I don't think they had a body still. Um, But his trial uh, was scheduled to begin in March 1999, and this time he would not be so fortunate. So let's get to the trial now. Uh, His trial took place in South Dakota's Minnehaha County Court during the first week of March 1999. 
the attorneys representing his case were John A. Nope. John A. Nope. Not trying to pronounce names that I can't pronounce. So we'll call him John. And uh, Mike Butler, Deputy Attorney General Larry Long, headed the prosecution team, and Judge Tim Dallas Tucker presided over the case. And the entire trial lasted approximately one month. During the proceedings, uh, Sheena's testimony was never heard. Uh, and remember, she was the three-year-old child uh, at the time, which now would have probably made her six or seven years old. Um, but her description of the events that took place on July 29th, 1996, was presented to the court. Uh, eyewitnesses, Anderson's friends, and his one-time cellmate, Brunner, also testified. The evidence against him was just overwhelming, and the defense did not stand a single fucking chance, which is what we like to see. Right, guys? Um, on April 6th, the jury of eight men and eight women quickly returned their verdict, and Anderson was found guilty on four counts, including the rape and murder of Piper and the kidnapping and murder of Larissa. Three days later, the same jury sentenced Anderson to death by lethal injection. Uh, now, Anderson's friend Walker was tried for his crimes in March 2000, and he pled guilty to the attempted kidnapping of Amy Anderson. Who the fuck is Amy Anderson? <laughs> Maybe this is a different case. I don't know. Anyways, he pled guilty to the attempted kidnapping of Amy Anderson and accessory to kidnapping and first-degree murder and conspiracy to kidnap Larissa Demansky. Bingo. There we go. That's, what we were, that's the one we were looking for. He received a total of 30 consecutive years behind bars at the South Dakota State Penitentiary. In January 2002, Anderson filed for a death sentence appeal with the South Dakota Supreme Court, um, and according to the Aberdeen News, his lawyers presented 18 issues in their appeal. Um, he Anderson complained that he was not tried separately for the abduction and the murder of Larissa, nor did he get the chance to confront Shayna and that he was denied his right to make a statement to the jurors before his penalty was handed down. Dude, if you think you're going to fucking confront a now six-year-old of, like, the victim, one of the fucking people that you murdered, you, you want to confront her child? Like, fuck you, dude. Uh, holy shit, like, if he thought that he even had a chance of confronting her. Like, that's fucked up, dude. Um, anyways, the Supreme Court um, met to discuss his appeal on March, uh, to, in March 2002. And the court would finally make their decision in May 2003. But Anderson would never hear the final results. Because on March 30th, while awaiting the outcome of his appeal, Robert Leroy 
Anderson took the coward's way out and he committed suicide. Joe Kafka from the Associated Press claimed that Anderson was not in his death row cell, but was alone in the segregation cell when he found, was found hanging by a sheet tied to a bar. Um, he was placed in isolation apparently because he was found in possession of a razor blade. Uh, and it was likely that he had obtained the blade to use as a weapon of self-destruction. I'd probably want to kill myself too. Not going to lie. Uh, approximately three months before Anderson killed himself, his father had also committed suicide, which is hard. And I, I, you're a fucking monster and a piece of shit, but you still might be human with feelings and that's your dad and that's hard. I get it. But boo fucking who, uh, he died from a gunshot wound to his head. His father did. And his father's actions may have been the catalyst which prompted him to take his own life. Um, so Kafka quoted uh, Larry Long saying, there's a lot of women who will sleep better knowing that this guy is deceased. And he further quoted Piper's husband, Vance, saying, this is what we were after anyway. It just saves some time and effort. Brutal honesty right there. And after Anderson committed suicide, the Supreme Court of South Dakota dismissed his appeal and court documents suggested that they would have upheld Anderson's criminal con criminal convictions anyways. Um, so that's good. Um, another factor in his suicide also could have been that he knew his appeal would have been denied. Um, so who knows what the real reason is, but that's what we got. Um, and that you guys is the story of the duct tape killer, which he didn't use a whole lot of duct tape. So I'm not sure why they called it that. I mean, he used a little, but I guess, you know, they needed a name and that's what they came up with. Um, so that's it. I want to give thanks, as always, to all of my supporters. Um, if you have something that you want to share or you just want to bullshit or you have a story or whatever, email is ofmonstersandcrime at gmail.com. You can become a patron at www.patreon.com slash of monsters and crime. Uh, please rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at of monsters crime. And again, I really appreciate everything. And um, until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.